lift heavy, sleep, and repeat. We call that our life cycle. Made a shirt about it, and it rings true with who we are as a podcast and a group. We are fortunate enough to have partnered with a company who can help us achieve one of those three key elements. Some sleep. They have a keto-friendly version of their delicious sleep aid drink, and we're loving it. It's a lightly flavored, eight-ounce anti-energy drink. You drink it roughly 30 minutes before you're ready to go to sleep, and you'll feel it help you into a deep, restful, all-night sleep. It provides some helpful elements to do so, including magnesium, GABA, and melatonin. When combined, you have a powerful tool for getting the impactful sleep that you and I so frequently don't get in our technology-driven, fast-paced lives. You can find it at some retail stores, but you can also purchase it online and get it shipped to your door. When you do, use discount code TKMC10, and you'll not only be getting 10% off, but you'll be helping support the Keto Man's Club. You can find the link to their website by going to theketomansclub.com. We're thankful to Sam for partnering with us, and we hope you'll benefit from use of their product the way we have so far. Hello and welcome to the Keto Man's Club podcast. We're glad you're here, where each week we talk about men's health and lifestyle. We do so with the foundation of the ketogenic diet and lifestyle. If you don't know what keto is, stick around and you'll find out. The podcast will bring you real honest fun. Each week we strive to uncover the tips and tricks that you can use in your everyday life to maximize your overall health. Find the clearest path to becoming the best version of yourself that you were meant to be. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Keto Man's Club podcast. My name is Chris. I'm one of your hosts. And this week I'm joined by a slightly different co- uh, co-host cast. Uh, we have our friend and previous guest, uh, John Oaks. Mighty John Oaks is with us. And uh, in studio also we have Berto. And the three of us are sitting down with uh, Dr. Peter Ballerstead. So we are super excited to have this conversation. We're going to skip a lot of the pleasantries, uh, the, 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 the shout outs and things like that, because we want to uh, get as much out of our time with Peter as we can. Uh, it's, uh, I do want to do a quick reminder to our listeners um, that you can connect with us uh, via social media or any of our websites, links, groups, whatever those might be by going to theketomansclub.com. All of our links are there and you can get access to a podcast, like I said, groups and everything else. And so we, uh, you can connect with us easily that way. Uh, now that that's out of the way, Peter, <laughs> welcome to the show. Good. Glad to be here. Very good. So what um, I told you before that while we want to get a lot of you know good information from you, we also wanted to make sure that we got your story as because that's really what we focus on in the uh, the Man's Club podcast is is we the, the stories of the men that have been with us and uh, uh, and and all of that. So tell us a little bit about. Uh, maybe your non-professional background growing up, how you found the ketogenic uh, way and, and, and your, your focus on health. And then we'll kind of, that will automatically, I think, uh, transition into more of the professional stuff as well. Okay. Well, I guess the shortish version is that in 2007, I was a 51-year-old balding, obese, pre-diabetic. Uh, at that point, my wife, Nancy, had been five years reading and 
applying low carb as we then understood it. That's a long time ago in this space. Um, and her approach was, this is what I'm going to eat. What would you like to eat? Um, and over the years, I had minimal success at moving weight much. Um, not much and not for long was my experience with weight loss and everything was trending in the wrong direction. So by 2007, uh, I finally got serious and, um, then discovered again through Nancy, Michael and Mary Dan Eads, protein power. And that's the diet I've mostly followed ever since. Of course, shortly after that, we have good calories, bad calories coming out. And I read that book and I get mad. And when we get to the professional part, you can understand why I got mad. Um, and starting in 2010, I started showing up at various conferences, first just to attend to meet these people in person. I mean, I was just geeking out uh, about meeting and seeing Gary Taubes in person and meeting Dr. Mike Eads and and I forget all who else was there. I think Andreas was, uh, Ehenfeldt was there and I met Adele Height for the first time there. And so that was an introduction to it. And then I began writing and speaking on what I call grass-based health. Very cool. So uh, what's your definition of grass-based health? Well, for me, I think that animal source foods are essential in the human diet um, at some level. Um, and that's an individual thing, right? We each get to find what that is for us. Some of us, it's exclusively animal source food and for other people, not so much. Um, and then due to my background, I understand the unique role that ruminant animals play in food systems globally. And I say that they have unique ecological advantages over other forms of animal source food production. So I'm a big fan of uh, the red meat that isn't pork. Um, technically, pork is a red meat by definition, but everything else uh, would be sheep and goat and venison and beef. Um, dairy for those who can tolerate it, um, which would mean for me full fat cheeses, except I have a problem with the off switch when it comes to full fat cheese. Um, <laughs> <Don't we all? laughs> I have a similar problem with uh, cream, uh, which would belong in some people's diets. Um, basically, getting people to not fear the natural fats that come with animal source foods. No, and amazing. then on, on top of that, we can talk about soil health and the health of the ecosystems and the health of the animals and the people that manage and consume their products and the society as a whole. So there's a lot, there's a lot of space here. And I try to use humor. I try to do it respectfully. Don't always succeed. Work in progress. Um, but over the years, people have given me names that I've very gratefully adopted. And so one is there's, I hope to grow a group of people from all these different disciplines. And you can imagine how many now play into this. And they all understand some portion of this to some degree. And I'm calling them the Ruminati. <laughs> Love it. I mean, so these, these are people who understand why ruminants rule. Okay. And, and then, 
because I was the guy talking about it, I was given the title Don Pedro, the sod father of the Ruminati. So I'll use that. And if it helps get the message out, then I'm, I'm happy to be Don Pedro. That's amazing. And then just a, a quick comment about the, the full fat cheeses and cream. I had all kinds of digest, had all kinds of digestive issues. And uh, the closer I stay to meat-based, particularly beef-based, the better I do with it. But my entire life, I grew up believing I was lactose intolerant and feeling like I was lactose intolerant. And what really blew my mind was once I kind of got my metabolism and everything on my inside straightened out, like heavy whipping cream and cheese, I could tolerate in almost any amount with no negative effects whatsoever. So that, that to me was a little bit mind blowing, you know, when you kind of grow up your whole life avoiding these things because they just, they just didn't feel good after you ate them. So, I mean, I, I hear you on the no off switch, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Everyone needs to know that they can find out for themselves what they need to do. And that, like you say, there are people who just describe these profound problems that they're facing, chronic issues, and essentially they just choke it down. I mean, restrict it down to where it's it's ribeye steak and water, right? And we'll do that for a while. And then we see things resolve. And then it's like, well, okay, if I want to add things back in, let me do that in a controlled fashion mm -hmm. until, you know, something bad happens, which is a scary thought to me. Um, but I understand it. So uh, the that application of a carnivore diet for a period of time to figure out what works and what doesn't. And, you know, regardless of what anybody tells you, if you've experienced that, then that's all you yep. need to know. And you're not going to kill yourself by doing it. And you're not going to destroy the planet by doing it. So if we can help with either of those, happy to do it. And honestly, like for, for me, like I've been on a carnivore streak myself lately. And to be honest with you, I've struggled with gaining weight, even though I'm eating low carb. And then I just strictly went carnivore for like three weeks to a month and I'm finally losing it. So it's just that reset that occasionally you need to do. You need to switch things up because your body gets used to no carb, low carb, you know, and, and things like that. So it's just like the last three weeks or the last week, um, Costco had a, a deal on prime rib roast. So I just basically cut them up in the steaks and, you know, I'm eating one a day. And just with that, like my appetite's gone, you know, and, you know, it's, it's just a reset. What a, what a horrible restriction that you're on. I mean, how, you must be a saint. Well, and that's, that's the fun part about all of this, that, that we've all, all, all of us in this conversation have ex have experienced it in one shape, way, shape, or form. We we've come to this and and we realized, oh, it doesn't have to be that bad. It's not a restriction. I get to eat meat as much as I want, pretty much. Like I went on a cut. I went on on Danny Vega's carnivore keto cut. I was eating more in the first few weeks of that of that cut than I normally was, you know, before the cut. So it's it, which is why I'm gonna do it again because. I did, you know, I've reset my appetite a little bit and I'll, I'll be able to start probably around the same place, but be able to cut down further and, and see better results the next time around. But that was kind of what John was uh, describing. It was it was very similar where I um, 
I got a little bit of a reset and now I'm back down to roughly my lowest weight ever since I started my health journey. And I feel confident that as I continue being primarily carnivore or, and, and things like that, I can move that needle even further down and uh, get down to that 200 pound mark that I have been aiming for, for years. And so it's, it's great for that. So let's um, any other questions about Peter that you guys want to dig into? Uh, not that I can. Okay. So let's dive into one of the aspects that you talk about that I think is a really important thing for a lot of people to hear. There is the argument made by other groups. I'm not going to name names, but by other groups that would say that meat is bad for the environment. And I think that we would all agree that industrialized meat processing and everything else. And I'm going to say processing, encapsulating the birth, raising, preparing, and then killing and, you know, making into meat product that shows up on a store shelf isn't always necessarily great for the environment. But from your standpoint, what is important for those people that have heard that argument? What's important for them to know about how meat can be environmentally responsible, probably to a further degree than anything that the other groups might claim. Yeah, I guess there's there's some things that got thrown down as markers there, and I'll come back to them. And if I don't, please remind me. But in many of these conversations, people are not um, basing them on the best data and the best science. And so you'll hear people say things like, you know, beef produces more greenhouse gas emissions than all of transportation or whatever. And there's a long story behind that, but that's just one example. You'll find what I call inflated numbers, pardon the expression, for gas emissions. You'll find uh, bloated pardon the expression, um, figures for water consumption. You'll find people who uh, confuse agricultural land with arable land, arable land being the land that you can actually till to produce the sacred soya and the wonder wheat and all that on versus the rest of the agricultural land that the only food producing activity you can do on it is graze animals to consume the grass that grows there. Um, you, you, many times are confronted with people who don't understand the essential role that having a grass cover on soils performs in terms of preserving that resource and the necessity to have those grass stands grazed periodically by animals or burnt. I mean, those are the options. Uh, I'd prefer to graze them. Um, and and on top of all of that, or underneath all of that, if you will, is the received narrative of what constitutes a healthy diet. So since we know that meat is bad for us, since we know that meat causes cancer, well, therefore, that's an even bigger reason to not eat it. And oh, by the way, it's bad for the environment, when in fact, that's just not true. Now, you can do anything wrong, but when we've got something like a little less than 40% of humanity's protein, and that's a whole subject we could talk about, but when you look at those statistics, 40%, 38% comes from animal source foods. Well, too many people think you can swap a pound of protein, I'm using air quotes, from animal source food 
with a pound of protein, air quotes, from plant source food as if they're equivalent. And they are far from being equivalent. You know, wheat, for example, is the single largest source of protein in humanity's diet. Okay. It's like 20% of humanity's protein, air quotes, comes from wheat. Well, but when you, nobody like eats raw wheat berries, right? Mm -hmm. The the kernels, (laughs) you you (laughs) process them. When we process plant source foods, we make them even less valuable nutritionally because the, the, the amino acids and specifically lysine, which tends to be limiting in all the cereal crops. More of humanity's protein comes from cereals than from all animal source foods combined. Mm, that's sad. <laughs> and 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 when we, for example, take wheat and mill it and then bake it, we drive the digestibility of the little bit of lysine it has down until the point where, if you look at some breakfast cereals under some experimental conditions, essentially none of it is digestible. So, okay, if we don't understand that, if we don't understand that uh, a lot of these arguments against animal source foods are somehow supported by nutritional epidemiology of chronic disease, you know, that, that, that softest of sciences, the lowest quality evidence that we have, and yet we have really good evidence now that would make us believe that hyperinsulinemia is likely to be the biggest factor across all of the chronic illnesses that we're facing. And so now, if you're not going to get your energy from animal source foods, you're going to get your energy from carbohydrates from plant source foods. Well, what's that do to insulin? Or, you know, you're going to be drinking corn oil, um, not recommended. So these are the sorts of things that would perhaps inform the conversation. But then I want to push back and say, understand that the, the, there's a certain amount of romance about agriculture and what it should be. And I just like to ask people, why do you think we're where we are today? Uh, Now there may be good and bad reasons, but we should be aware of those. And so one of the reasons for our concern for efficiency in livestock production is not just for cost, right? It's not the co- just the cost of production, the ability of the farmer to make a profit, and the ability of you know people like us to afford the product. It's also because it lowers its environmental footprint. And so if we're going to throw those things away for some perceived better from days gone by, well, that's going to come with a cost. Are we willing to pay it? Um, one of the challenges for us going forward is helping our brothers and sisters in low and middle income countries to produce more animal source foods at lower impact so that they're more affordable and accessible to them. So, you know, Globally, I think the figure is 6% of the global anthropogenic greenhouse gas budget comes from beef in total. In the United States, it's 2% of the United States' budget. Okay, So 6% total. U.S. has about 8% of the world's beef, but we contribute less than a half a percent of the global greenhouse gas emissions from those animals. We have about 20%, sorry, we have about 10% of the world's cattle 
and we produce 20% of the world's beef. So these are the things that if we could get appropriate technology leveraged into the production systems globally, then perhaps we could accomplish increased production at lower impact. How do you follow that? (laughs) (laughs) Boom, knowledge. (laughs) But um, I kind of follow along the same thing as far as, uh, you know, efficiency in eating. Um, This is like a very simplified way to look at it too. But, you know, I recently got into a conversation with a friend of mine who's vegetarian. We get along great. And, you know, and he was talking about how I eat, which is pretty much anti-vegetarian. So, you know, we went back and like, okay, where do you get your food from? You know, get it from the grocery store. Where did that come from? How did it get to the grocery store? You know, we trace it all the way back. All right, well, it came from a big factory. I'm like, I hopped in my truck, drove 90 miles north, picked up half a steer from a private ranch. They went to a family old processing center, drove it home, put it in my freezer, and it's going to feed my family for the next six months. I'm like, so whose way of eating had a greater impact? If you're so concerned about about the environment and all that, whose way of eating had a greater impact on the environment? Like, well, your way that came with an 18-wheeler or mine that came in my truck that gets 25 miles to the gallon? <laughs> in, in, indeed. I, I'm trying to reclaim the term omnivore and have that used instead of vegetarian. Because what typically is happening is they're not eating red meat. And I'm fine with that as long as you're eating eggs and poultry and fish and dairy, if that's appropriate, right? Um, and even if we go to some parts of the world where they practice, you know, they don't eat beef, but they do eat meats like goat or lamb, right? So, so these differences sometimes get lost when practices get translated or transplanted to the United States. That That's number one. Number two is I want people to put more value on their own health. Somehow we live in a world where people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you're less likely to have to have your foot cut off, but what about global warming 50 years from now? Are you kidding me? Is that really the conversation we're having? Okay, well, then let's look at what the greenhouse gas emission are from chronic illness. What's Mm. the carbon footprint, if you will, of diabetes? And so what I'm doing is I'm beginning to put some numbers together. It's preliminary stuff, but, you know, I'm putting it out there. Might be corrected someday. But right now, if if the average American diabetic could eliminate their medication use, is that possible? Mm. Uh, but let's just assume, speculating <laughs> wildly. Let's say that you could do that. You would lower your carbon footprint 29% more than if you went from a meat heavy or a high meat, sorry, that was the term, high meat to a vegan diet. Now, we know that you can sustain a high meat diet, don't we, brothers? Mm. Mm. <laughs> yep. We also know that many people have trouble sustaining a vegan diet up to an approaching 90 plus percent. It depends on the figures you want to look at. So you've got that going on. Um, and, and, and then if you look at the total number, you come up with, I mean, basically the average diabetic patient in the United States consumes pharmaceuticals, only pharmaceuticals now, that produce approximately two metric tons of CO2 equivalent per year. And so running conservative numbers, if we could get 
all the type 2 diabetics who are currently taking medications off those medications. We're not saying take away the meds. I mean, we're deprescribing. That's 50 megatons. And and that's huge numbers. I've published some graphics about it, you know, to help people get in their minds what we're talking about. And, you know, while beef is projected to be 2% of anthropogenic greenhouse gas emissions in the United States, the healthcare system is 10%. Why don't we talk about that? And And that's something that I'm trying to get more people talking about to at least begin looking at this. That conversation more needs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's it's understandable why people think they what they think, right? That they've mm-hmm. only heard a message, mm-hmm. or they've uh, they've heard more from one side than the other. And so, can we present information and allow people then to take that away? And you should pardon the expression, ruminate on it. I've actually so. I actually work as a residential counselor in a residential setting and the in the 32 people in my building I'd say a good 75% of them are diabetic and it's shocking the amount of meds that these people are on so like it's really easy for me when I do uh, a meeting with them and you know teaching them how to cook I'm simply stating hey wouldn't it be nice if your blood sugar wasn't 2 to 300 every night and you can have a meal that's low carb or like nutritionally balanced instead of like, I had one, one of my gentlemen, he like, he would eat a thing of ice cream and night. I'm like, you're killing yourself. You're not going to, you're not going to have your feet very long. You're not going to have a leg to stand on is the line I said to him. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's, it's amazing. And, and I can see where, and we can dive down a rabbit hole here with economics and lower income people, and the amount of food that they're eating. And it's just, you know, nutritional, the nutritional is taught nutritionally in this country and even across the world as what a nutritionally balanced meal is, you know, is just, is just garbage. Okay. I, I, one of the things that attracts me about the, the keto men's club is that people recognize it's not quote, just food, right? I mean, there's Mm -hmm. lots of aspects to this that um, uh, holistic is a word that, that applies, right? The, the, the right diet isn't going to fix a life that's filled with dysfunction or Mm -hmm. isolation or, um, you know, high stress, low reward jobs or things that need to be changed. Otherwise it might help you have the stamina and the energy to approach those things. So I'm um, I'm very interested in work that other people are doing around the connection between mental health, emotional health, and a species appropriate diet. I wanna I wanna also reclaim the acronym SAD as species appropriate diet instead wow. of standard American diet. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the, one of the interviews I just did recently was with a meat science professor, and he had run a study um, in, where they had fed six month old you know growing pigs, and they had created a, a ration that was supposed to mimic the the median American diet based on N Haynes data. The veterinarian stopped the study early because he considered it inhumane to what was happening to the pig. Oh, Lord. Wow. <laughs> and, 
And honestly, I can speak to the mental health thing because on, on my episode, I talked about my bipolar disorder and the past year for me has been interesting because it's been dealing with bouts of depression. It's something that exercise and food just can't fix. So my doctor, bless her heart, put me on medication. Well, now that, you know, the issues are starting to come back to that I'm starting to feel back to normal, that caused a 30, 40 pound weight gain. So I'm fighting that and I'm finally getting to the place now where, okay, I I know I'm no longer, well, I, I'm in a human service field. So that tells you a lot about you know my job and when the stress level I experience, you know, and there's only so much that exercise can help because, you know, you're familiar with like my story in the group. I've torn my, sh- done damage to my shoulder. I had wrist surgery. I'm a, a <laughs> so the last year has been fixing myself mentally and physically. And like, so now it's the point where I'm getting, the diet is under control. I'm no longer taking those you know, those, those keto friendly things that are not really keto friendly. I'm paying attention to what goes into my body. And it's amazing what comes out as far as like happiness, mood, you know, just being a happier person. And to the fact that I've been able to take myself off one of those and just been able to finally lose weight again. Well, good on you. I, yeah. I, um, you know, personal experience. Uh, my father was a manic, depressive, alcoholic, um, and I've got experience with one of those. Um, and I get to spend a lot of time in the recovery community mm-hmm. and I get to, it, it's tough for me because I see people who I think a dietary message would be helpful, but that's sort of not what we're there for. If you understand, so yeah. everybody knows what I'm about. If they want to talk, they can talk. Um, you know, you have potlucks. What do you bring? Right. Um, yeah. I mean, do you walk the talk or are you just, you know, sort of, but it's, it's, I think it's a wide field that we all have an opportunity to work in. And, and mine is to just try to connect people. Um, like I say, across this span from production all the way through consumption. I mean, I go to agriculture, you know, forage agriculture meetings and, in some cases, I can remember one, and I'll try not to give too many details, but um, somebody from the audience after um, two speakers that I had invited there, given their presentations, and uh, one, somebody in the audience says, well, we all know this. How do we get them to know it? And meaning the consumers, the meaning mm-hmm. people who are not part of this particular tribe. And I was trying not to be too obvious as I looked around the audience and thought to myself, well, you may know it, but may, and I felt bad for this, right? Cause it's judgment and it's not good. It's not fair. Right. But I was like, maybe we should talk more about it here in this audience, because it seems to me like there's a lot of metabolic illness in this audience. And maybe we should start here and let that message then ripple out through our channels to more and more people. And that's one of the things I hope I can encourage. There's a a lot to be said for thought leaders, actual leaders, whatever, you know, labels that the people have. Uh, But there's a lot to be said for them intentionally living out what it is that they know. And not just having the knowledge, but having the wisdom to use that to better themselves, exemplify themselves in front of others, and others will will follow. Whether they they you know realize the reason the the source or not, they will follow. Yeah, I I 
remember somebody saying, if every man is an island, our job is to paddle around until we find the right beach to land on um, and, and have the conversation. Um, but back to the point of I'd like people to understand that when they improve their health, they are improving the world. Oh, that this is this is maybe the most practical thing we can do, and it's certainly impactful. Uh, how many stories have we heard of what happened with one person then rippled out through their family and then their connections? And um, I, I've talked about you know potential environmental benefit from it, and and there are more. Um, we're not, we haven't been looking at that. The, the, the examinations we have been doing, here's one for you. This one blew my mind and I just learned it yesterday. Um, you've heard of the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Mm. Okay. So periodically they produce reports, science, and then of course there are the people who take and produce the the summary for policymakers. Those are not written by the scientists. So that's where all the sexy headlines about twelve years or whatever show yeah. up. That those headlines don't come from the science; they come from the summary. Okay. So somebody told me yesterday that the word photosynthesis does not appear in that document. Hmm. We're talking about CO two cycle. And photosynthesis doesn't appear. Seems pretty fundamental to me. Mm -hmm. um, so I went and found it, downloaded it, did a PDF search function through it. Yeah, 169 pages, not one hit on photosynthesis. Remarkable. Hmm. So there's lots of those sorts of things at work. And now expect to hear shortly some more publicity about you know, we need basically everyone to be on a macrobiotic diet, and that's what's going to solve the problems of the world. And when we have a quarter of children of uh, under five years old globally being stunted due to a lack of the essential nutrients that are best supplied by animal source foods, in fact, those researchers say that it was due to a lack of animal source food in their diet. When we have a third of women of childbearing age globally being uh, anemic, and you're going to recommend for an even lower level of animal source food consumption based on whatever. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, these are things that I, I, I hope more and more people can understand. But I also understand at a certain level, you know, somebody coming into the group, you know, beginners, right? Um, the secret of enlightenment is to lighten up. Don't don't sweat it. Yeah. You're not destroying the planet by eating more meat than you ate before or, you know, and, and clearly there are people who can do well on a diet that has some animal source food and some appropriate plant source food on it or as part of it. Um, and, and they shouldn't feel less than, than somebody who eats nothing but meat and vice versa. You know, it's, it's all part of what we have to do in order to thrive. The, there is something that I got a couple years ago from another field. And they said, you can have two principal values, principal aims. Your aim can be to lower human impact or to max, you can minimize human impact or maximize human flourishing. 
And if your approach is to maximize human flourishing, you'll get to minimizing impact. But if your approach is the other way, you won't get there. And, and, and part of that is because that minimizing tends to be top-down driven. And we see how that works for diet. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag fail, as, yeah. as uh, Dr. Fetke would say. Um, and the other way recognizes the incredible worth and value of every single human being and says that our job from the high-income countries must be to do what we can to help our brothers and sisters in the low- and middle-income countries get to where we are. And yet we have just this opposite attitude. No, 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 no. You're bad because you're in a high-income country. So we need to get everybody down too. Mm. <laughs> and, and, and that ties in very neatly with people who will say things and have said things like humans are a cancer on earth. And they, com they compare human beings to viruses. Well, you don't have to follow that train of thought very far before you start getting to some very dark places. And we have within our history, and that's something else that we can talk about. But just to lay that out and say, value your own health, value the health of your family and your community, that sustainability has to be more than merely environmental or ecological factor. It has to also include societal factor. We know that society can't sustain the current burden of chronic disease. It's also got to include economic factors. What is it? $1.8 trillion or something like that is the projected costs of obesity-related disorders in the United States. 9% of GDP. How are we going to sustain that? Well, we can't, but yeah. there's, there's another way. And, and the more that people experience it, the better, the closer we'll get to that point. And also that points, one of my missions is to lower the barriers to entry. So anybody who's saying you have to buy grass-fed beef in order to follow this lifestyle, I'm going to argue with you because I haven't seen the nutritional data that would justify that position, especially if you're talking to somebody who can't afford to do that, right? You've just told them they can't do this. Um, and, and we need to re-examine some of our received narratives about good and bad meat. Those, those come with roots as well. And we could trace those back and find them interesting. I'll just lay that maybe for the time being. One of my favorite stories is one that I got at the VIP session at KetoCon. Um, and that was somebody who was telling me she had three, she's feeding three teenage boys. And she's like, I can't, I can't afford to feed them grass fed beef. So thank you for telling me that I don't have to, whatever. She says that they really like spam. Okay. Now for some ethnic groups, it's a food group all to its own. I mm -hmm. understand that. Yep. Um, she was cooking up some for her boys when her mother was visiting. Her boys love spam, so okay, she's doing this. But she apologizes to her mother, saying, "I'm sorry, but the kids like this." And and her mom looks at her and goes, "Oh no, I love spam." This is a shock to her daughter. Never heard this before. Well, it turns out her mother was a 15 year old girl in Berlin during the airlift, and so one of the things that could be brought in was spam. And me. And her line was, spam tastes like freedom. 
And, and if you ever listen to this and you hear this, please email me at peter.ballersted at gmail.com and tell me your name to remind me so I can give you credit or at least remember you. Thank you. But I told her she needed to contact Hormel immediately and tell him that story. <laughs> I love it. Spam tastes like freedom. That's so cool. But it, it, it brings back to a point that it's not a very complex diet. The the industry and, and the you know the heads at the table of the keto sphere kind of have made this more difficult than it is. You know what I mean? It's it's kind of like it, it's just it for me. It's just for myself getting myself back on track. It was you know eliminating the the stuff like the cauliflower crust pizza that mm. had like you know flour, unseen ingredients, and stuff like that, and mm. being able to just you know if I if I want to just I have my grills. I just throw a piece of steak on there and I'm good. It's amazing. Like coming down here, like yesterday I ate a pretty large lunch and I could have eaten at Alberto's last night and I didn't, I wasn't even hungry, you know? So it's like you get to the point where you're sustained for quite a long time and you don't have to like constantly, we've kind of gotten the trap of eating six to eight times a day or some, you know, something silly Mm -hmm. like that, where it's just, just eating when you're hungry and it's just to, you know, I'm rambling, but <laughs> <laughs> rambling is good. No, your your point is well taken, uh, John. It's it, it's it doesn't have to be complicated. We we have our our life cycle, which we have now printed on T-shirts, and we close yes. out every episode with is eat meat, lift heavy, sleep, repeat. It doesn't have to be complicated. We're talking about boiling things down to something really concise, and yeah, keeping it simple. And, I, and I've, I've got some. Uh, one last question for you. And I've been waiting to try to find the perfect person to ask this to. And, and you might be that person. Uh, I, I got three young kids. They're in elementary, they're two of them in elementary school. One's a little tiny guy. And uh, like I quickly learned by visiting my daughters at school when I was allowed to that the food they're given in school is atrocious. <laughs> so it's like, you know, they come home and they eat pretty much what I cook for them. And, you know, whole foods, meats, vegetables, fruits, that kind of thing. So like for the average guy the average person in general that, you know, wants to scream from the, from the rooftops, like that you guys are doing this wrong. And, you know, then you go to school and you see what they're getting fed there, what they're getting taught there. Like how, how does the average person even begin that conversation? Like inside an institution, like a school or something like that. That's a great question. Um, Mm -hmm. And no easy answer, no one size fits all. I know that in some uh, communities, the local cattlemen, for example, have done things to try to get beef into school lunches. But if you have schools that aren't set up to cook, essentially, I mean, they receive the prepared meals that then get assembled or whatever, you know, microwaved and then put out. Maybe that's not even possible anymore. Um, but there are allies for us to get involved with. In Oregon, there's a group called Ag in the Classroom which tries to get some kind of agricultural information into the curriculum. Um, And then there's other opportunities. Uh, There may be some pediatricians in the community that are working to um, combat the, the epidemic of obesity and childhood obesity. And they may be uh, sympathetic to our dietary approach. And so bringing, you know, doctor so-and-so into the conversation might have more impact than, you know, an agronomist, you know. Um, so there might be ways to to strategize that. And, and I would encourage 
that if it if it comes down to information, that's part of what I do is share links and papers and make introductions so that the information that I've been trying to dispense gets more widely known. Now, how that works in a bureaucracy like a educational, you know, that that's different. But even there, there must surely somewhere be doc, uh, teachers who are on the same journey with us. And maybe they would have suggestions about how to make that approach. So that would be something I'd, you know, ask the herd about. Sure. So that segues perfect into one of the one of the few questions that we ask towards the end of a conversation. We've been very generous. You have been very generous with your time. And we, um, what are the top like two or three readily accessible resources that you would say that any of our listeners should put their hands on, read, look up, have it on their bookshelf so that they can give it to somebody else? What What, what would those be? Um, I still have no problem recommending Protein Power Life Plan. Um, I am a even well, I shouldn't say even with within um, the ag community that I serve. Um, I recommend uh, Nina Teicholz's The Big Fat Surprise: mm-hmm. Why Butter, Meat, and Cheese Belong in a Healthy Diet. Um, I have read multiple times. Everyone, well, yeah, I can say that every one of. Gary Taubes's books I've read at least once the the last three multiple times the first two not so much um, and I'm looking forward to the next one that's coming out um, so those and and then you know you can go online to I think it's called Meat Myth Crushers and this is a publication that comes out of the American Meat Institute, I believe. And they attempt in this document to answer a lot of the concerns, uh, food safety, health, environmental impact, antibiotic use, uh, hormone use, those sorts of things in meat, uh, animal production and, and consumption. And there are, you know, it's coming from that source. They're not hiding who they are. Um, but that's one that can help people find resources to answer specific questions. Um, and, oh gosh, well, I mean, you know, I, I got bookshelves behind <laughs> me here. Um, and, and some of those I've actually read. Yeah. Um, I hear that helps. Um, <laughs> th- that would probably be a good start. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, okay. Well, uh, we could probably have two or three more conversations of this length and dive deeper and deeper and deeper into this stuff. And maybe we'll get to do that at some point. Uh, I, I would like to think that we will. But for now, let's go ahead and wrap up with you sharing how people can connect with you. You've joined the the, the, the Keto Man's Club main group, which has been awesome. You've been sharing a lot of your little tidbits that, as you said, I have communicate with some humor involved usually, but they always have a good point to it. Um, so how can people, uh, other than in the Keto Man's Club, connect with you? Well, on Facebook, you can find me by name, Peter Ballerstead, but I also have a page that's public called Grass-Based Health. So connect where you'd like to. I try to maintain some separation, but not always. Um, I also have, um, there's a there's a private moderated group called the Ruminati, if you want to get in on that. Um, and we do have people from around the world that are joining that and trying to join in the conversation. So that's that on Twitter, grass based one word, um, on Instagram, same, um, you can find me also, um, I have a blog that I keep struggling to, to, to get active. 
um, that's called Grass-Based Health on Blogspot. Uh, you can email me at peter.ballersted at gmail.com. I'm on LinkedIn. The, on YouTube, uh, mm -hmm. you can find me by name. Uh, and also, oh, did I mention that I have a podcast? Oh, I yeah, was going to make sure you didn't forget that. I, made, <laughs> I was going to make sure because this is relatively new, but you're, yes. you've been talking to some of the most awesome people. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's really cool stuff. So to, na name the podcast and how people can find it. Well, with everything I had said before, it's the Meet Your Herdmates Sodcast. <laughs> and, and and yes, somebody had to give me sodcast. I mean, that's don't look to me to market. I, <laughs> um, but I know people. So um, and you can find the Herdmates sodcast on most of the podcasting apps now. Uh, I I hosted on Podbean, but I've gotten connected to uh, I think most of them now. Um, and then on YouTube, you can find Meet Your Herdmates as a channel on my uh, YouTube channel. Very, very cool. Well, once again, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate your time. You dropped a ton of knowledge bombs on us, and uh, we're, we're all walking away a little edified, and I hope our listeners do the same. Uh, a reminder to our listeners, if you have questions, comments, uh, you know anything like that, feel free to reach out to us. We've got Instagram, our website. You can call us uh, or text us. I don't even have the number in front of me. I'm not going to bring it up, but it's documented elsewhere. You can <laughs> Email us at the Keto Man's Club, or I'm sorry, Keto Man's Club Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, our website with all the links to everything is uh, theketomansclub.com. And so you can connect with us really easily. All of us are here. John, uh, your social information, real quick. The Mighty Oak 77 uh, is my Instagram, um, The Mighty Oak 77 on Twitter, which kind of getting back to. And if you uh, follow me on Instagram this weekend or You'll see tons of barbecue. That's all I've eaten. Uh, <laughs> I ate... Ate a pound of brisket yesterday for lunch. Yeah, it was. It's. It was a good day. It was, good it day. was a very good day. Yeah, I'm, very, I'm good. very, very, very happy. So it's. Yeah, it's, I, it's good to have you in Texas with us, and, and good to <laughs> good to have you, yep. you join us. And we are going to partake in some barbecue ourselves here in a bit. So. Barbecue and a concert. Can't yeah, be beat. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I think that's it. Until next week. Make sure to eat meat, lift heavy, sleep, and repeat. Thank you for joining us for the Keto Man's Club podcast. Your support means the world to us. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Would you help us spread the word about the Keto Man's Club by sharing with your friends and family? We're available on all podcast platforms, so just search for Keto Man's Club and you'll find us. If you would like to connect with us, you can do so a number of ways. Our web address leads to our Facebook group, theketomansclub.com. That's T-H-E-K-E-T-O. M-A-N-S-C-L-U-B dot com. You can also follow us on Instagram at Keto Man's Club Podcast. Lastly, if you have any comments or questions, feel free to reach out via email to Keto Man's Club Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you again for joining us today, and we look forward to hanging out with you again next week. Mm -hmm.